I am Steph Mushel, and this is Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Our episode today starts with the price of copper and how in May 2021, it hit an incredible global high. The price of copper has been moving up towards a record high following an enormous rally of over 120% in the past 13 months since it hit bottom at the end of March 2020. And though this price hike was influenced by demand for manufactured goods in the U.S., Europe and China, in South Africa, its impact meant something else. An increase in cable theft. Thieves have been videoed digging up cables, sometimes in broad daylight. Electricity cables are being stolen at an alarming rate. Thieves are after copper, which sells for up to $20 a kilo on the black market. And this influx of cash into cable theft has helped fund groups of organized crime. One incident of of cable theft may not mean very much, but as part of a broader whole and as part of this this sustained assault on critical infrastructure, it poses a very real concern for the economy. This is Julian Rademeyer, the director for Eastern and Southern Africa at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. He's going to help us tell the story of illicit markets and the impact of organized crime in South Africa and take us from the surge of copper prices to illegal mining, to attacks on tourists, to mass shootings, and eventually to some solutions. He's been studying how all this is connected. So we wanted to understand the harms. We wanted to look at how criminal ecosystems in South Africa interact and if there's crossover between different criminal markets and perhaps also between different criminal economies in various parts of the country. And we identified 15 markets. There are obviously other markets and types of organized crime, but these were the 15 that we felt were the most important. The worrying part in many senses is that 10 of the markets that we identified, 10 of the 15, are all increasing. And those include everything from economic and financial crime to cybercrime, organized violence, organized robbery, kidnapping for ransom, extortion, wildlife fishing and environmental crimes, illegal mining, and mass public transport. And then most importantly, I think the aim of this assessment is to stimulate debate about a new set of responses. But let's go back to how South Africa's infrastructure, the copper cables, for example, keep getting stolen. Infrastructure can can hardly be nailed down. We've had, you know, for instance, just on the railway side of things, you've had entire railway stations which have essentially been stolen. Railway tracks that are, are lifted up and taken away. Similarly, we're seeing, you know, looting of fuel from fuel pipelines. We're seeing the slow and steady erosion of water infrastructure and associated corruption in terms of losses to the broader economy, around 187 billion per year. Cable theft and infrastructure vandalism at Transnet, Telcom, Eskom and Prasa amounts to around 7 billion per year. So there's enormous economic impact. It causes disrupted services, it undermines trust in the state. And in some instances, as we've seen with transport and railway networks, it's linked to violence. We've seen, for instance, a recent incident where gunmen armed with AK-47s filmed themselves on railway tracks in Cape Town, linked to, to a gang. 
the attacks on infra- critical infrastructure are highly organized and they integrate with, with other forms of, of organized crime. So if you're looking at attacks on infrastructure, a part of that which is inextricably linked is illegal mining. I've seen some surveillance footage from one particular mine where a camera was set up two kilometers away filming as this caterpillar-like movement. It was a thermal camera and you could see 70 people in a line moving across a hill and down into a mine. And underground camera footage capturing groups of between 20 and 30 illegal miners splitting up in tunnels and moving in different directions. And this was a working mine. And you know, this is an issue that's been building for a very long time, for longer than a decade. You know, the first instances of illegal mining in South Africa were recorded in the Free State province around Valcom in the late 90s, and it's grown steadily since then. But it took, it took this truly horrific incident in Mohale City near Krugersdorp in South Africa, where eight women who were working on a film production that was filming a music video and they tried to use a mine dump, an abandoned mine dump as a background, were attacked by a group of illegal miners and gang raped. Let's return to the story. The brutal gang rapes of eight women in Krugerstorp on the West Strand has put illegal mining activity back in the spotlight. The National Police Commissioner says special teams have been set up to tackle violent crime in mining provinces. And it was only then that police acted. And again, it's this testimony to how reactive our approaches are to these situations, that something so so absolutely terrible has to happen, that, you know, there's a criminal atrocity that's so terrible it can't be ignored, and then we have a response. But the situation around Mikhali City has been worsening for a very long time. There's been rising violent crime, and the illegal mining that's taking place is aided and abetted by local South African scrap metal dealers and refineries. That's how the metals that are mined are laundered through into various markets, some of them international markets. So if you look, for instance, at the trade in illegal gold, much of that turning up in the UAE and some of it going to India, but by and large heading to, to the UAE and being laundered by local gold dealers, local scrap metal dealers, in a way which makes it almost completely untraceable as the source of an illicit commodity. Add to this a rise in violent crime where illicit mining often takes place. So if you look at the Free State gold fields, murders reached around 55 cases per 100,000 at the height of illegal mining activity there, making it among the 15 most violent places on earth in 2019. It's been a long battle for mining companies to try and clamp down on illegal mining, often because they're operating in areas where the police themselves are complicit with illegal mining gangs, where the police, in some cases, where entire police stations are corrupt, where police vehicles are being used to ferry the ore that's brought up from underground or to take food to to illegal miners. And mining companies have been forced to essentially set up their own parallel investigative and processing facilities. So facilities where intelligence can be gathered by analysts, where uh, surveillance cameras can be run, where case dockets can be built up, and then processing facilities for people at their rest on mines, where they actually have their own charge office type layout, holding cells where people who arrested are processed before being handed over to police. And their own investigators have to prepare case dockets and provide them to police and prosecutors to ensure that something can be done. And this slides us into our next topic. 
xenophobia. The incident in Mahale City brought with it you know, an explosion of, of xenophobia, as this happens all too often in South Africa. And it's true that many illegal miners are illegal foreign nationals or foreign nationals, many of them from Lesotho and Mozambique, and that the connections, for instance, between illegal mining in South Africa by nationals from Lesotho and gangs that operate within the kingdom. And those are violent gangs themselves who have also been linked to shootings in taverns and, and other killings where miners have been executed or where there have been turf wars underground and battles between groups of illegal miners. But for those international gangs to succeed, for them to be able to process and launder the gold and, and gain the funds and move it out, they need the active involvement of South Africans and South African registered refineries, dealers and scrap metal dealers and, and gold dealers. The response from the South African police service is to engage in mass arrests. And their attitude seems to be, the more arrests, the better. There is absolutely no way that we're going to be able to arrest ourselves out of the problem. You know, our prisons are already overflowing. Hundreds of arrests of low-level zamazamas, illegal miners, that in itself is not going to achieve very much. And that's what we saw in the aftermath of these, these rapes, you know, as mass rounding up of suspects in the hope of catching the rapists, but also in the hope of trying to shut down illegal mining there and you know, arresting people and deporting them. The real challenge around illegal mining is, is there any way that we can address this, that we can somehow find a way of bringing artisanal mining into the formal sector? Is that even an option? There have been efforts, for instance, in Kimberley, in the diamond mining area, to try and do exactly that. And it was a project in 2018, 2019, which unfortunately ended in violence between those who were part of the project and people who had been excluded from the project and it didn't work very well. So can we come up with it, with new solutions to this? Because the current situation is completely untenable. I think there's a real danger in allowing or, or, or almost forcing uh, the private sector to take over what is effectively the police's mandate. And the private sector have been forced to do so. They've had no choice but to do that because of the poor quality of investigation, because of the lack of prosecutions. And it's not only the mining sector that have had to set up their own investigative units. You look at the cash and transit sector, they've had to do the same thing. You look at the banks, they've had to set up their own units that do cybercrime investigations because we effectively don't have a cybercrime investigative capacity or the necessary skills in South Africa. You know, what we actually need is very well-trained, skilled, highly skilled, well-paid investigators and specialists, specialists in things like cybercrime, organized crime investigations, analyzing intelligence, going through, you know, simple things like phones that have been seized. You know, we lack language skills in some cases where foreign nationals are involved. So all of that, I think, requires a far more strategic, targeted approach. It needs to bring together regulation. It needs to bring together enforcement. It needs to bring together development responses in a coordinated, synchronized way. We need to draw in civil society. And all too often in, in South Africa, we look at you know crime simply as the police's responsibility or the National Prosecuting Authority's responsibility to get prosecutions. But it's something that touches on every aspect of our society and therefore requires buy-in from, from government. If you take a recent incident where a tourist was murdered 
near the Kruger National Park's notorious Numbi Gate. Police are on the hunt for three suspects involved in the shooting of a German tourist yesterday. Four tourists were stopped by armed suspects in White River in Bumalama. The driver was shot at point-blank range while attempting to lock the car after the attackers demanded that they should open the doors. There's been a rising growth in violent crime in that area for a very long time. There have been at least 11 attacks there in the last year on tourists and others. I think, sadly, that particular incident was inevitable. It was left up to the private sector. It was left up to, for instance, um, the local Chamber of Commerce, South African uh, National Parks, who came in from, more from the government side, and you know, local residents to arrange for security with a private security company to try and do security on that road. But where were the police in all of this? You know, where was there a, a clear strategy to try and deal with organized crime in that community? People within that community have been terrorized by thugs and, and gangsters for a long time now. The residents in the area, people, some of whom work in the Kruger National Park, have been regularly targeted. You know, this is one of South Africa's premier, if not its premier, tourist destinations. And it's incredibly risky. I drove that road myself recently. And, you know, there's, there's stretches there that are ideal for ambushes and targeted attacks. The police can only do so much. And there's questions about levels of corruption, police in the area too, and their complicity with some of these gangs. But it's going to require, you know, other agencies and government development in those communities. You know, there are few, I mean, very few opportunities for people there, other than working in the national park or working in tourism. The tourism department itself, you know, rather than being uh, defensive and, and claiming that South Africa is a safe country for tourists to visit, which it clearly is not, they themselves could come into play in trying to keep pressure on law enforcement agencies, local development agencies to work in those communities. You know, this is not something that we're going to resolve overnight. There's no magic fix here. It's long, unglamorous work that's going to take years to turn it around. But it's going to take, you know, efforts from us too as the citizens. You know, this is something that affects every single one of us on a daily basis in many ways, shapes and forms, sometimes in forms that we don't fully understand at the time. The situation in South Africa is very vulnerable and dangerous for most citizens. Close to 50% of the population is, is unemployed. They have no protection. They have no recourse. They go to their local police station, nothing happens. You know, there's a gradual loss of faith. The violent crime murder has increased in South Africa by 38% in the, in the past decade. The police's ability to solve murders has declined rapidly to the point where they now are able to solve around 19 out of every 100 murders that come across their desks. That's an extraordinary you know, situation. We, we, have a, you know, we have a country where the murder rate is, is higher than Mexico. The taxi industry has become something of an incubator for hitmen in South Africa. The Global Initiative has recorded more than 400 assassinations in South Africa over the past 20 years, more than 200 of them in the last seven. And many of those murders are carried out by hitmen who made their bones in the taxi industry, as the, as the old New York mafia saying went. That in itself leads to this sort of spiral of violence tied to so many different illicit economies. And I think that that's one of the key characteristics that we identified when, when we tried to look at 
what exactly you know constitutes organized crime in in South Africa and what's the makeup of organized crime we have a very diverse set of criminal markets in South Africa they're facilitated by corruption they're linked into a set of regional criminal economies and they're extremely violent and that leads to instances like the shooting at Mglolozi's tavern uh, in an informal settlement in Orlando Soweto Let's go back to our breaking news story now. You can only but imagine the harrowing scenes in Orlando this morning. 13 died at the scene, and we do, of course, believe that one died in hospital. There are three that are still in critical condition as things stand. Some reports said there were around 130 spent cartridge casings found at the scene. It's subsequently been reported that this shooting was linked to illegal mining activity and some of the suspects have been identified have been linked to political parties in Lesotho and what have become known as the Terene gangs, Terene meaning trains, which have been formed by mine workers in the 1940s and 50s. And this was migrant labor, people coming from Lesotho to work in South Africa. And these gangs have continued and they've become a support to political parties in Mozambique. They're tied in with the music culture, they you know, film themselves distributing cash to people. They're wildly popular in some instances. And there's strong evidence that they fund themselves through illegal mining activity in South Africa. So you have this horrific sort of nexus of, of murder, politics, illegal mining, tax on infrastructure, and a police that is dealing with this in a very reactive kind of way. People have to be gunned down in a tavern before the the spotlight is shone on instances like this. We've had other mass shootings across the country. That in itself ties in with, you know, the levels of, of firearms that are available across the country. You know, it's the one market which we described in the report as stable at a high level. But stable doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's fading away. And it's it's something that has driven so much so much organized crime in South Africa. It's illegal firearms that drive so much of this. Guns are currency in the underworld. Guns give people power. They give people the ability to go and earn an income by force. These guns can be stolen from civilians when people are attacked in their homes, and they can be distributed illegally by the police. But new avenues are also emerging. So police stations being targeted by gangs. You know, in one recent incident, a couple of guys pitching up at a police station claiming they'd been part of a hijacking and the next thing it turned into, into a holdup and they made off with various weapons. Uh, we see cross-border sources of firearms, although that has become increasingly limited. And in fact, now what we're seeing is, for instance, firearms from South Africa turning up in Zambia and other countries where they're being used, or in Botswana, for instance, where they're being used in violent crime there. There's immense corruption at the Central Firearms Registry to the extent where people, known gangsters, people who, if you just simply Google their names, you would know this is someone who should never, ever be given a firearm license being issued with firearms. And then, you know, sources of ammunition as well through the fraudulent issuing of licenses, but also leakages from from private security companies. So that underpins so much. It's a driver of violence across all the markets that we deal with. There's a trade in guns between various criminal groupings that sustains an armed robbery economy. It sustains gangs. Again, this this undermines confidence of citizens in the state. And the violence that you see that that 
is spread throughout these illicit economies, I think most problematically comes to head in the area of extortion. And extortion is textbook organized crime. It's, you know, the shakedowns of the local shopkeeper, the local spaza shop owner, the person on the corner who's trying to make an income. And very often it was targeted at vulnerable communities, new arrivals, you know, Somali, Pakistani shopkeepers. In Cape Town itself, in one particular year, there were more than 30 Pakistani shopkeepers who were murdered because they refused to give in to extortion. But we're seeing that extortion is now diversifying and legitimizing and expanding in South Africa. It's expanding beyond vulnerable communities. It's expanding beyond the nightlife economy, where it traditionally was you know, tied in with nightclubs and security. And we're seeing formal and informal sectors being affected. So you have, for instance, extortion of, of companies, you know, the so-called construction mafia demanding a cut in the profits of new construction sites. And extortion is one of those, those crimes that entrenches itself in society. It creates a, almost a parallel economy. It squeezes small businesses in particular. It distorts local economies. It does enormous damage. It creates a sense of violence and fear within communities. It completely erodes trust in the rule of law, often because you also have police who are on the take. And it's the kind of thing where people are terrified to go and report it as a crime because, A, they don't know how it's going to be investigated or can trust that the investigation is going to be done properly. And, B, if the gangs that are running the extortion rackets find out that someone has been talking, the consequences are likely to be pretty dire, if not fatal. And this also drives the, the growth in mafia-style economies, mafia-style groups, which is one of the the very frightening areas that we identified in the analysis is there's been this dramatic spike in mafia-style groups tied in with, with gangs more traditionally, but then also your illegal mining sector with some of the groupings involved in extortion, involved in attacks on state infrastructure. That is an element that cannot be, be allowed to grow and where there's, there's an urgent need to take particular steps. It also ties in with the kidnapping economy that's developed and this dramatic spike in kidnappings in South Africa in the last year. And again, you know, if we're coming back to issues around tourism, the last thing South Africa can afford, aside from, you know, the worrying instances where tourists are attacked and robbed and in some cases killed, but is also that it develops a reputation as a kidnapping country. You know, we've seen what that's done to the, to the economies of other countries, for instance, in South America, where they've gained a reputation as dangerous, violent kidnapping countries. Julian insists that the point of this assessment and the studies that the Global Initiative have been doing is not to cause alarm and apathy. The aim is to galvanize a response, to get people talking, to look for solutions. Because in our estimation, organized crime poses a very real existential threat to South Africa's democratic institutions, to its economy and to its people. And it's something we don't say lightly. Julian says that even though South Africa has high levels of violent crime, it also has high levels of resilience. You know, we measure resilience by a look at some of the institutions that we have, like our courts, Law enforcement, which unfortunately is a, is a problematic area, but you know, we look at uh, courts, we look at prosecutions, we look at the laws that we have on our books. And we're at a unique point now in South Africa's history where we have these high levels of criminality, but we have relatively, comparatively high levels of resilience. Resilience, which is crumbling. And that gives some urgency to the need to act now. You know, we need to actually 
come up with a very clear, cohesive strategy that pulls together government, it pulls together society to tackle this problem. And I think that if we do that and we have the right amount of political will and we have the right people involved, we can actually achieve remarkable things. And that there is a very real way forward to turn this around. You know, this is not something that is fated, that we will become this country where you know, crime is so out of control that we'll never be able to do anything about it. You know, it's, we shouldn't be in a position where we just simply accept that this is the fate that awaits us. There is a real need for pressure. There's a real need to actually give it that push because, you know, throwing up our hands and giving up isn't really an option. The only option is to keep moving forward and to try and do everything in our power. And that means bringing together the private sector, civil society, government, ordinary residents, to try and deal with these with these issues. And I think that you're going to need a long-term vision here. I think we've been encouraged by some of the meetings that we've had with high-level stakeholders within government, including the presidency, where we've briefed them on this particular assessment. And that has been very useful. And I think there's certainly an awareness in, in many parts of the state of the enormity of the challenge that faces us. And that must be dealt with. I'd like to thank Gillian Rademeyer for contributing to this episode. The report this episode was based on was released in September 2022 and is called the Strategic Organized Crime Risk Assessment South Africa. There will be a link for you to download it in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I've been Steph Mushel. Goodbye and thank you.